0: Well, hello, everybody. This is Tim Green with Rattle Magazine, and this is Rattlecast episode number four. Um, in a little bit, we're going to be joined by Elizabeth S. Wolf. Um, she's the author of our 2018 Rattle Chapbook Prize winner, Did You Know? Uh, which a lot of, you know, every subscriber received this uh, issue along with the, or this chapbook along with the summer issue. Uh, but first, I think we're going to start um, doing a little kind of news segment. I'm not sure if, um, I'm not sure how this is going to work, but this was a suggestion that, uh, some people had, and I thought we'd maybe try it out. Um, we're going to talk about some, some poems, um, having to do with this week, and talk about maybe the Poets Respond poem a little bit. Um, so let's start out. First of all, um, My kids are going to school tomorrow. It's the first day of school here in California. So I thought maybe we'd do a cover reveal of this next chapbook coming up. This is uh, El Ortolani's Hansel and Gretel, Get the Word on the Street. And this is the cover right here. And that'll be coming to you with with your fall issue, which is at the printer right now. As we speak, it's being printed and bound, and the chapbook's being folded and stapled. And it's going to arrive in your mailboxes maybe, you know, August 25th or so, if, if you're in the U.S., a little later if you're abroad. And it's a book about, about teaching. Al is a retired teacher, and um, it's about students and, and sort of the I don't know, the quirky things that go on uh, throughout the school year. Uh, it sort of covers a school year and an imaginary school. I thought maybe we'd read a poem from the chapbook or maybe two. This one's called Switchplate. This is Al Ordolani again from Hansel and Gretel get the word on the street. Switchplate. The day moves by me, and I'm still at the same old desk that was two wheeled into my room by the custodian. The lights run on the same kind of motion detector. On some kind of motion detector. If no one moves, let's say, in 10 minutes, they blink out, and I have to raise my arms and wave them like crazy possibly they click back on possibly they don't at this point i have to get up and walk the room in the dark until the shadow of me is recognized in the recesses of the switch plate once in a while i'll have a class of high school kids writing essays and the lights will suddenly black out and they will all look up astonished like they've really done something cool so that was switch plate by al Lani from the chapbook which is coming out and you see these are proof sheets here Uh, This is the chapbook that's going to come out soon. Hansel and Gretel get the word on the street. I thought it was a good chapbook to start the school year with. This was one of the three 2019 Rattle Poetry Prize winners. So look forward to that coming up. Uh, The other thing I wanted to talk about was um, uh, the poem of the week this week for for Poets Respond on Sunday. This is Elizabeth Coyle's poem about um, the gun violence in El Paso and Dayton the week before. Um, She wrote that. She said she wrote it, um, I think she said she she almost wrote it in her sleep, but kind of came out automatically all of a sudden one morning last week. And um, you can see her uh, note at the bottom. She just says, I am exhausted, as we all are. So I thought I would play that for you just to get it into the stream here.
1: How to talk about guns in America. Don't. Talk instead about the sickness. the incredible pain a person must be in to commit such violence but don't talk about the dry heaves that kept you up for two nights before your brother's graduation speak in academic terms say words like misogyny and terrorism and media then you will sound far away and meaningless people won't have to listen or access their own pain mention the numbers the body count the helping hands the teddy bears left in the morning don't let statistics bog you down though Don't tell people you haven't been to a movie since 2017. You can't remember how it ended. You spent the whole time watching men arrive late and sit at the end of your row, every breath burning its way through stomach acid at the back of your throat. You had to clench your knees to your seat to keep from running. It's okay to say that if you were a teenager, you'd beg your parents to keep you home. Say it with a touch of nostalgia and rightly placed horror, but don't tell people that you won't have children in this country out of fear that you'll lose them in a shivering pile on the cafeteria floor before they're even old enough to subtract. Definitely pray. Because if the only time you talk to God is when there's bodies on the floor of the supermarket or festival or office building or movie theater or nightclub or school or other people's church, then you must be talking to God every day. You must be thinking about becoming a preacher. Don't write this poem instead of sleeping. Don't lay on the floor after a shooting, typing this into your phone, because you will be interrupted by a notification that another shooting is in progress. You will realize that you know too many people and that one day they will be killed in this same way as a passing news story. You will cry. You will probably be crying when people read this. More people will probably be dead.
0: So once again, that was Elizabeth Coyle reading How to Talk About Guns in America. And, um... And every every Saturday morning, I read all the poets respond poems while laying on that couch behind me, usually on a little iPad. And um, I kind of just sit around and wait for that feeling of uh, goosebumps, really, the hair standing up on my arm. And then I immediately know that that's the poem. That's kind of how editing works. You just um, you know you just read and listen to your own body and reactions. And sometimes a poem takes the top of your head off, like Emily Dickson, Dickinson said. And uh, this was a poem that did that. Um, so. So later on, we're going to have an open mic, as always. If you'd like to join in live on Skype, uh, all you have to do is send a message to us uh, right now at live colon poetry is our Skype address, and we will call you back, or I will call you back. I'm the only one here. Um, And uh, and we also have a bunch of pre-recorded poems, too. So we have about seven open mic poems. You can submit poems if you go to rattle.com slash rattlecast. Uh, you can use Submittable to submit poems plus uh, MP3s or some kind of audio file. And I'll convert it and, and get it all set up. And so we'll ha- we have seven open mic poets coming up after we talk to uh, Elizabeth Wolf and hear her poems. And uh, I think we're going to have... Um, I think we might have to have a situation because we already had about 20, you know, two dozen people maybe submit open mic poems just this week since we opened it up to having them be pre-recorded. And we can't really do that many an episode. So I think we're probably going to have Submissions for the open mic open um, part of the, you know, some months for a while or maybe at the beginning of every month or something like that. And because and, uh, I don't really want to filter these, I want these to be a true open mic because I love open mics. I love having no idea what's coming up. I, uh, these, uh, we have seven poems lined up and I have no idea. Uh, I have no idea what they are. I listened for the sound quality, but that's it. So I'm really looking forward to hearing those later. And I love even more if people could call in live and have them, you know, have your own face be on the screen here for you, the YouTube stream. It's really fun to do. All you need is the Skype app, and once again, just uh, text me at live colon Rattle Poetry, and I'll reply and, and tell you that I have you lined up to go, and I'll call you back at the end of the show when it's time to go. Now, uh, once again, the poet we're talking to today. Is Elizabeth Wolf, and she's the author of "Did You Know?" I'll read her bio on the back really quick, and there's a picture of her. Uh, Elizabeth S. Wolf is the author of the chapbook "What I Learned," poems from Finnish Line Press. Uh, her poems have appeared in multiple anthologies and journals, including Persian Sugar and English Tea, Mosaics, Ibbotson Street, Peregrine Journal, Tuck Magazine, and others. She's a regular at the Merrimack Mike uh, Open Mic. And full moon story slam. She lives in Massachusetts and works as a metadata librarian. And uh, Elizabeth's chapbook, I, the same kind of thing as the uh, poets respond poem earlier. I uh, I was reading it right on that couch. Um, and for the chapbook and for the chapbook contest, you get these manuscripts of you know twenty to thirty poems, and um, and um, all the poems. You know, w- once you uh, realize that it's a good manuscript, I kind of just set it aside to read with more attention later. So I usually read, you know, if, if I find it's going to be good, I read like the first three poems and I realize it's going to be good and I just set it aside because I don't even want to, you know, because I'm trying to move through all the submissions. But with Did You Know, I remember very vividly, I just read the whole thing. It was the only manuscript that year uh, that I read the whole thing straight through the first time because it's such a compelling story and I just couldn't put it down literally, so I didn't. Um, and we have... I could say more about it, but I thought maybe it'd be interesting to share this review, which says it really well, even better than I could, I'd say. Um, and this is by uh, Siham Karami on Goodreads. And I love Goodreads because um, the reviews on Goodreads aren't blurbs. They're actual people sharing actual opinions. So so here we go. This is uh, This is what she had to say about it. This book needs to be read from beginning to end, and once you begin, it will grip you into the world of Elizabeth Wolfe, a world you will need to follow wherever it goes. I have difficulty standing on my feet, especially at the end of a long day, yet once I picked it up with zero expectation that I would even be interested, yes, despite the engaging cover, I decided to start with the first one. I stood on my feet, riveted in the walk-in closet, unable to put it down until the last memorable emotion-packed but restrained line. This has changed my idea of what poetry is or must be. I'm a huge fan of craft, especially formal craft and poetry, and this book is very well written, a simple and direct narrative with none of the we're going to reinvent language by using outlandish imagery methods popular among literary, major literary journal editors. But what it says, the story of a lie that destroyed the lives around the liar, a secret created by failing to tell a simple but painful truth, is its strong point, a powerful testament to how important honesty is. It is the exact and most important message we need to hear this, at this moment in history when truth itself is being deliberately undermined for personal political gain. It also tells the story of how women's lives were so terribly constrained, how they were denied agency over their most basic needs... And many women to this day suffer from such treatment. Patriarchy is still alive and ruining lives. I would say its message and style are on the same page, honest and direct, as a poetic style shows us what happens when one chooses to hide an important truth. The book has made a powerful impact while nothing is overstated. Some important questions remain unanswered, as they should be. Wolf opened up her heart and world, such an unusual tale, and kept me on my feet, mind transported, even forgetting that I was standing. And when I remembered, I didn't give a damn. Uh, Rattle Chat books are all contest winners and are consistently very good and surprising, but this is one of the best. The main point of poetry is, in fact, to get us to see things in a new way, to awaken us to truths we didn't notice before. The author succeeded in leaving me entirely transformed. Highly recommended. And again, that was uh, Siham Karami on Goodreads. And um, I had very similar responses throughout um you know fr- feedback from subscribers throughout the summer about this chat book it was really the highlight of um the summer season if you want to call it that um, people talked more about this chat book than they did about the issue of rattle itself and i love it when that happens it was a really great chat book and, and let's bring in our guest here um, she's going to unmute her mic and we'll say hi to elizabeth wolf hi elizabeth hello and in your call from massachusetts right
2: Yes, I am. And and that was a, a great review, and I hadn't read it recently. It really is. And I couldn't wow. have said it.
0: I mean, I literally couldn't have said it any better myself, and uh, so why bother? <laughs> um, but that was really the experience of the book. It's such an engaging and down-to-earth book that tells a compelling story that needs to be told, I think. And um, I don't know. I, I think there's a kind of um, – uh, uh, I think of it as like an ideal rattle poem, which is that kind of down-to-earth – um, no frills, to the heart of the matter type poem, which is what we've spent 25 years publishing. We try to be eclectic and publish all sorts of things, and personally I love uh, formal poetry, um, so I love being able to publish uh, Free Verse too. and as an editor reading tons of submissions, I love experimental stuff. Um, but the real heart of Rattle is this kind of poetry right here, and you have a whole chapbook of great poems. Do you want to start start reading a few from the beginning,
2: maybe a couple? Sure. Uh, I'd like to start with the first one, and I'd like to tell you the the first one is called Tangled Web, and the way this book actually came about, uh, as you heard in the bio, I've been going to a story slam, the Full Moon Poetry Slam in um, New Report, and a friend was driving me home, and the next topic coming up was Tangled Web, and so I told her, oh, I have a story about Tangled Web and lies, and I gave her... Uh, a a Brief Reader's Digest version, and she said, that's what you should be writing your poetry about. And I stopped and thought, yeah, it kind of is. So the first poem of the checkbook is Tangled Web, and it took off from there. Tangled Web. Before HIPAA, before women could carry credit cards in their own names, Back when talking about birth control with unmarried young women could land you in the Charles Street Jail, my mother's legs were tingling. Some days they felt hot, swollen, and stiff. Some days they didn't feel much at all. My mother spent summer afternoons sitting on her screened-in porch with bags of frozen vegetables draped over her legs, needlepoint in hand, or a deck of cards for a wicked game of bridge. One fall, my mother went blind in one eye, but then her vision returned. My father was a lawyer. We had the best of Boston health care. When my mother's primary care physician and her consulting neurologist and her ophthalmologist concluded the most likely diagnosis was multiple sclerosis, they let my father know over lunch with drinks in town at the club. My father was a first-generation American, a bombardier in World War II, a graduate of Harvard back when there were quotas for Jews. My father was the dictionary definition of responsibility and competence. My father was lost. He sought counsel of his best friend, R.M., a fellow lawyer. He sought counsel of his best friend, Dr. K., now their physician, He went before his formidable father-in-law, who had founded the law firm my father now managed. Late in the fall of 1968, after bullets felled Martin and Bobby, after the Tet Offensive and the Broadway opening of Hair, my father, filled with the best of intentions, made an awful decision to keep my mother's diagnosis a secret from her. Believing the stress of naming the disease would make it worse, my father chose to be her guardian, the gatekeeper of incoming information. He would tell her when the time was right. He was certain he would know when the time was right. He could protect my mother from her own body. He accepted that burden as a husband's duty. So my father signed up, her primary care physician, Her consulting neurologist, her ophthalmologist, her mother and her father, many friends and cousins, and swore them to secrecy. My father managed this whole conspiracy flawlessly, until the summer of 1975, when he unexpectedly dropped dead. He was 50. His widow was 45. His children were 22, 19, and 16. My father left an insurance policy and an estate plan. My father left no instructions for how to handle the secret. And so it continued to be kept. And I'd like to go on to uh, August 8th, 1974. These all came out as a memoir in a kind of chronological order and uh, naming them by their dates really helped bring that out. So thank you, Tim, for that. August 8, 1974. My parents got a color television after men walked on the moon. Richard Nixon always appeared a bilious shade of yellow-green. Don't adjust the set, my mother would say. That's just him. My father, Mr. Republican, would object. My mother kept working on her needlepoint. The August that Nixon resigned, I was at a friend's in Deering, New Hampshire. Their summer retreat had no phone and no television. We walked down the dirt road to the home Lotta Jacobi shared with Beatrice Hunter. Lotta was a famous photographer. She took portraits of Einstein, Chagall, Eleanor Roosevelt. B was a natural foods maven. She provided pesticide research to Rachel Carson for Silent Spring. I did not know this then. "'Lotta and B were neighbors. "'Lotta took pictures of my friends searching for turtles "'or playing with briar-plastic horses. "'Watching that historic speech with those incredible women, "'I was thinking about arguing with my father, "'if he would yell, if we would ever talk again. "'I was a fierce rebel, completely unaware of the blinders "'still solidly soldered to my eyes. "'I didn't know women could be heroes.'" Good questions. Um, I wrote early on, uh, kind of on and off. And then I, I hurt my back when I was in my early 20s. So I did a lot of writing because I was flat on my back and I was desperate to do something that dogs couldn't do. So I could still have something, you know, that needed upper skills for and I did everything the way you're supposed to and I went to the library and I read a lot of poetry and I read all the different journals so I'd know who to submit to Um, and then I I got back up and I went back to school and I went to work I did get a copy of my favorite writing book of all time which was writing down the bones so I did some timed writing and I did some journaling Um, I got another job, I got married, I had a kid, so I was writing, but it wasn't really a priority. And then I was between jobs, and my kid was older, and I went to a coffee shop where they had an open mic. And this open mic met at the time every week, Merrimack Mic, which is run by uh, Isabel Van Merlin, who is a genius and a very kind and open-hearted woman. And because it met every week, now I had a deadline. I had to have something to read, either new or revised, every week, and that got me back writing again. And that was five years ago. Ah.
0: Um, just so everybody knows, I forgot to unmute my mic again, which I keep doing. I have to mute it to chat with people, and then I forget to unmute it. So to say that again, I asked uh, Elizabeth. She she'd mentioned earlier why, um, or she'd mentioned in her bio that she um, wrote and then stopped writing for a long period of time and um, picked it up again more recently. So that was, So I asked her why um, to explain what that was about. I also um, said uh, I'm actually reading the chat now so I could see that my sound is out. Thank you very much, uh, Flysterious, for letting me know. Um, and I want to say hi to everybody. If you have any questions for Elizabeth S. Wolf, um, I'll be monitoring the chat, and I can ask her live on camera right now. Um, so, so, yeah. So another thing I wanted to ask Elizabeth was... Um, um, why? Why poetry? You know, this is such a, a you know it could be a memoir really easily in prose. It could be a, a creative nonfiction memoir, or yeah, creative nonfiction memoir. Why not?
2: <laughs> I try to write other things. I occasionally write stories. Um, I actually right now have submitted a, a one act thirty minute play. But when I get to revise and I hone it down, I really. When it gets down to it, it's a poem, mm-hmm. and and so I stopped fighting that, and I just started writing in poetry, and it lets you get right to the heart, and it lets you get to the personal and the mm-hmm. universal, or at least that's what I'm trying to do, so no matter what I think I'm going to write, in the end, when I get it to where I want it to be, mm-hmm. it's a poem.
0: Yeah. Well, that's great. Yeah, I'm really glad that you, uh, you have written this poetry because we only publish poetry, so that's the only way we could publish this great book. So thank you very
2: <laughs> much for that choice. Um, do you want to read a few more poems? Sure. So I just read at uh, an event that was Poets Telling the Truth. So I want to read the before she knew and after she knew poems because they're exact uh, the before and after of the lie. So before she knew, my mother shopped for groceries at the oddest hours when she was least likely to see anyone she knew. My mother had a wobbly gait and needed to clutch the cart. It takes a lot of steps to get through a supermarket. My mother was afraid her neighbors would gossip that she was always drunk. When my mother did drink, she used a paper cup. The nice glasses from the bar set kept slipping from her hands. Sometimes, my mother sat halfway up the stairs and halfway down, like the Christopher Robin poem. I found her there reading more than once. She was afraid one day her legs would fail and she would be stranded forever upstairs or down. Sometimes, after she sipped scotch from her paper cup, my mother crawled. She was afraid if she fell down, she might not be able to get back up. My mother got tired and napped often. It stressed her out. My mother recited nursery rhymes to soothe her worried mind. My mother feared she was going insane. She didn't tell anyone. Her children were embarrassed and didn't say a word. And then there are a few intervening poems, and we get to after she knew. My mother did a lot of research. She chose all new doctors. My mother joined support, support groups and signed us up for newsletters. My mother moved to accessible housing with mobility aids within two years of the conspiracy collapsing. My mother named her crutches Fuck and Shit. My mother enrolled in a clinical trial. They gave her chemo to knock out her immune system. She lost her hair and never walked again. She spent two months in a rehab hospital. They spread lined sheets over her bed and chair in case of accidents. My mother pinned the sheet to her shoulders like a cape, threw off her wig, and raced down the hallway's full tilt boogie in her cherry red rascal. My mother was a rocking superhero. And just so you you know, uh,
0: Elizabeth, people are saying, you know, excellent. They love this applause. I know in a regular reading, you'd be able to hear the clapping, but um, there's clapping happening (laughs) all over the the world right now. So uh, thanks so much. Everybody's really enjoying it.
2: Thank you. Um, I want to read one that you just recently featured, uh, but I chose it to read tonight because it is my daughter's favorite poem of the book. Recycling the Travel Section My family always read the newspaper. When we sat for dinner, 6.30 every weeknight, you better know your news. Sunday papers were a special treat. For years after the secret was spilled, my mother separated the travel section from the Boston Sunday Globe and sent it, unread, to recycling. If she had known, she said, she would have traveled with her children. My mother loved London and always wanted to return. You can't get that back. And all that time estranged from her children, fighting her own decline, some things can't be fixed. Splintery shards remain, like the glasses that slipped from her numb hands onto cold, hard floor. Ma, if you're still listening... I have taken my daughter to the ends of the earth. California, London, Aruba, India. We saw sunrise at the Taj Mahal. We have hiked in the Amazon rainforest and on top of the Great Wall of China. Ma, if you still care, I carry a piece of your jewelry with us wherever we go.
0: Kevin LeMaster wanted to ask a question. Um, He asked, um, was it difficult to write about such a painful subject? And did your family give you any grief about the subject matter?
2: (laughs) (laughs) Good questions. Um, Actually, it was way less difficult than you expect. When I decided that I was going to take on this project, I decided I was going to take it on as a rattle chapbook. So I had that deadline in mind, and I gave myself time, and I had a um, a notebook that my daughter had given me, and I sort of sketched out an arc of what I was going to include, and I wrote all of these poems and a few more probably in about two weeks. I had given myself far more time than that. Then I typed it all up and realized it was far too long. So I had to really think about what was going to be included. And so it really narrowed down to the parallels with my growing up and my mother's MS secret and how that affected the family. Um, and so every poem in the chat book had to answer the question of do you speak to that and are you related to either a poem before or mm-hmm. after you. And as to the family, interestingly enough, they did not read it until you got it in your subscription. Oh, wow. <laughs> uh, I d- <laughs> uh, maybe I should have given my brothers an advanced copy. I did do a reading um, in Amesbury here at one of our local poetry groups. We have a very active poetry scene here. And the first question I got was, what was your brother's reactions? And I just looked at them and said, uh, yeah, they don't know this exists yet. <laughs> so i was kind of able to do it just as my story and they didn't uh they didn't get any feedback until it was out in the world one of my brothers I, I hasn't even contacted me directly but i heard he thought it was very fair and very powerful the other one called me um he was an english major and is now a teacher and we went page by page for 2 hours oh it was wow. awesome oh, that's really great. good feedback do you,
0: do you think um you know, do you think I don't know. Do you think there's a, like a more of a connection with your family afterward? Like, Do you think it was something that needed to be aired? Or, um, or is it something that they'd rather not have been aired? Do you know what I mean?
2: I think it was something that had to be said. And I think I had to be old enough to be able to sort of look at everybody's different perspectives. So I'm not sure I could have written mm-hmm. it earlier. So I, I think it was a combination of the time that um, – you know, the older generation is now gone. Um, so I needed to get it all out. It felt like it had mm-hmm. to be said. And I've heard far more from my extended family uh, in the past two, three months than mm-hmm. most of my life. Well,
0: that's great. That's great. Um, Jimmy Pappas has a question. He says, uh, he asks, which poem in the chapbook is your favorite?
2: Oh, that's a tough one. Um, I have to say it might be there used to be rules because I I, I can read that now but it's, it's based on a very vivid memory I have of visiting my mother after the secret was out and we had this really odd interaction and so when I used it in this poem and, and kind of tied a lot of the different themes and got to use that it became sort of the the turning point for me in the collection.
0: Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Sure. Do you want to read that one? That'd be a good sort of transition. And then maybe read some newer poems or poems from different books or something like that.
2: Sure, that'd I be can great. I do that? Yeah, thank you. All right, so there used to be rules. My mother told me once when I was in my 30s, she couldn't imagine how hard it must be to have choices. In her day... Good girls were virgins at their weddings, and that was that. And then the 60s happened, and free love. And then in the 70s, abortion was legal. Without the pregnancy card, the whole game was changed. My mother had rules for everything. Always side with your husband. Be courteous to the help. Tip the mailman and the paperboy at Christmas. Towels are folded in thirds. She knew what to wear and when, what to serve for lunch or brunch or dinner, what to wash in hot or cold. Her sheets were ironed. I was visiting my mother in the mid-80s when she stopped outside the bedroom door. What do you think, she asked. About what, I wondered. Did you see, she asked. I looked around the room. Look at the bed, she said. So I did. Look harder, she said. So I did. I used the top sheet from one set with a different fitted sheet, she declared. I thought you'd get a kick out of that. I stared at the bed. I stared at my mother. She was positively delighted with her act of rebellion. My mind reeled. How sheltered was she? What did she see when she looked at me? Does she know how I lived as an outcast, a foster child? Nights with no place to sleep, I crashed in shelters, wards, hallways, under bushes, in borrowed sleeping bags. I fucked friends for a place to sleep. But here I was, over 21, and she was wearing an ankle brace, swaying on crutches to stay upright. The whole game was changed. I accepted her gift. Wow, I answered. I thought I woke up extra spunky. Now I know why. She turned and crutched down the hallway, giggling. I stood staring at the space where my mother had been. Thanks for that question. I was wondering whether I should include that one or not. Well, I'm glad you did. A couple more
0: comments um, just to, to pass along. Um, um, Kashiana Singh says you are inspiring, and I agree. And... Um, um, Nicole Jenkins says, I have a lot of poems like this in my collection, and your feedback gives me the courage to let them out. So um, so thank you so much. I I just love this stuff.
2: And I think when you let them out, you'll find out that other people are, are going to be receptive, and they're going to relate. And it's been an amazing experience, I have to say. And, you know, this is from someone who didn't show it to anybody but an editor until – 7,500 people (laughs) saw it one one month.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Um, So do you want to read some new poems or poems from from other collections or something like that?
2: Yeah, I was going to read some new poems. um, And and these started as rattle response, poets respond poems, um, which I love because it gives me a deadline. And a lot of times... I don't submit because I know it's not ready at that deadline. But just having that deadline is is great. That's a great service, Tim. Um, And this is you'll recognize as a Kavanaugh poem. It's Between My Fingers Like a Shield. It was published in Ibbotson Street Press uh, in December. And it was nominated for a push cart. Between my fingers like a shield. I carry shards of glass in my pockets. I broke the mirror. I didn't want to see. Pretty gets catcalled. Pretty gets groped by anonymous hands. Men press against Pretty's behind on the bus. Pretty gets winks and told to smile more. I don't wash my hair. I don't make up my face. My daddy is afraid I like girls. But that's not the worst thing. Daddy... Your friends used to blow smoke in my face and feel up my rear. Used to look down my shirt while I fetched a coaster. Daddy, after a few drinks, your friends are too friendly. I don't wash my hands. They don't want me touching their food anymore. They call me a slob. But that's not the worst thing. The boy next door, I thought he was my friend, Daddy. The varsity team invited me to a party. I was happy then. Daddy, those boys are not my friends. Daddy, pretty is dead. Pretty got raped. Now I just walk around in this dirty body, try to make it through the day untouched. Pray for me, Daddy. They say Jesus loves a sinner and blesses the unwashed. I'll be right over here waiting for a sign clutching shards of glass. I have another one that's on a bit of a brighter note. This was based on a story in my local newspaper, um, actually based on a true story pretty close to to the way it was written. And it is included in uh, a forthcoming book. I have a full-length collection coming out from Kelsey Books that uh, will be titled When Lawyers Wept. That should be out at the end of the year. Hopefully, definitely next well, year. And make sure
0: you tell us, and we'll definitely spread the word as much as we can, and maybe have you on again, too. The, the whole part of the point of this uh, um, series is to promote books and, and have a way, because we don't do reviews because nobody actually read them, but uh, this is a great way to promote books. Uh, so, <laughs> so maybe we'll have you on again, or at least we'll share it on Facebook and stuff like that.
2: That'll be great. I will do that. Uh, so this is called Sisters on the Runway. Every step, every strut in five-inch stilettos, I am stomping. This is my debut. My head is a mile high, my smile is shiny wide, and I am fabulous. Snaps in Z-formation. When they first said the fundraiser was a fashion show, I thought it was nuts. This is Hannah's house, a shelter, service center, sanctuary for women. But the others got all giggly and giddy like kids at a pageant. I'm a big girl. I'm tough. But I know, at least on the outside, I am ugly. My daddy told me first. I got a spot on my chin and he said I was too disgusting to sit at his table. I ate dinner in the cellar like a dog. I made myself small, small as I could. Hiding in corners cuts you down. My boyfriend said I was beautiful when he wanted a blowjob. Otherwise, it was the other B word, and he hit. I got scars on my boobs where he branded his initials with a lit cigarette. No other man will want you now they know you're mine, he said. I took it for a while. He said he loved me so much it made him crazy. I took it for too long. I left with nothing. I was nobody, even inside my own head. I didn't know what to do. I married young, then moved in with my boyfriend and my husband left for someone younger. Never held a real job. Didn't know how to make a budget or pay bills. Hannah's house helped me open my first bank account. I'm at the head of the table now. I'm a big girl. Curvy. But Kathy, she called me voluptuous. And she said it with a wink that made me feel delicious. So here I am. Sass in stilettos. I am wearing a bold, bright, curve lovin' gown, baby. A push up bra with wicked peek at me lace. I am gorgeous. Cindy did my makeup, and Maggie did my hair, and when I teared up, Ruthie clapped and said Strike a pose. Suddenly I was all that. We lined up behind the curtain, listening to the hoots and hollers for the women on stage, Ruthie asked if I was ready, and I jutted out my hip and said, honey, I was born ready. Um,
0: I can go on? Yeah, why don't you do um, – I have no idea what time it is, but maybe do one or two more.
2: All right. Let me do <laughs> – let me see what I have marked here. I want to do one, an anthology I was included in that just came out. Violet and Wing. Oh, I don't know if you can see this. I can only see a little portion of myself. Really close to the camera. How's that?
0: Yeah, there you go. That works. (laughs)
2: Um, And this was back in the days when I was still using Duotrope. It is Violet and Wing, an anthology of domestic fabulous poetry. I had to actually look up to see what that was. Um. And I took an old poem and I, I turned it into something that felt new. So this is Parable of the Lost Voice. I cut the daisy from my throat. Mute, I danced all I had to say, flinging question marks and exclamation points in bright droplets of blood. I tore the signpost from my heart and so lost my way. I plotted out all possible courses, laid down a path bone by bone. Silent and wandering, I discovered the world and watered it with my tears. Brambles sprouted, tangled and prickly. By the second summer, white blossoms emerged, and then black fleshy fruit, thick with juice. At first, like the birds and bears, I ate straight from the bush, warily, clumsily, fighting with thorns. But the sun-warmed berries nourished me, encouraged me, emboldened me. Now I set a bowl on my own table, settle with my bare feet resting on well-worn ground. I am fed. I am home. That's not the wind that you hear howling, whispering, roaring, waning, sighing. That's me. I'm singing. And I have One more kind of short one I can close up with if you want to have time for all those uh, open mics. Yeah, that'd be great. Yeah, please do. Last year, I was lucky enough to go on a great adventure. My daughter was working as an au pair in Shanghai, so I visited her in China. And then uh, we only got her a one-entry visa, so she had to stay in China, but then I went to Vietnam by myself for a few days. And it was an amazing trip. And uh, this is coming attraction this is the poem that closes the full-length collection it's called primate customs the nice young vietnamese scientist working in the park with pygmy slow loris could not believe i was traveling solo no family no one to bring with you he had a lovely british accent in english and was clearly concerned The next day, I checked into a charming hotel on the beach on the South China Sea, just beyond a fishing village. The room number was my mother's street address. I do not believe in coincidence. I am not traveling alone.
0: Well, that was great. Thanks so much. Uh, again, once again, this is Elizabeth S. Wolf that we're talking to. Um, and Elizabeth, you need to go uh, on the YouTube video and read the comments because there are a lot of great comments. Um, and everybody who's watching has been watching the whole time. There's no dropout. so this is really compelling, engaging video. And uh, really, I think it's a great. Um, it's gonna be a great program as we move forward. We're doing these uh, live online readings. They're really fun, um, beautiful poetry. Once again, we're uh, looking. This is. Uh, Did you know? Um, that we're focusing on today, Elizabeth S. Wolf's uh, 2018 Rattle Chatbook Prize winner. If you subscribe to Rattle, you receive this with your summer issue, um, and uh, if you if you didn't though, you can still buy it at rattle.com for six bucks, and that includes shipping because um, we just you know we do everything as cheaply as possible because we're a nonprofit. Um, anyway, thanks so much, Elizabeth. Uh, it's really a beautiful reading. I loved your new poems just as much as I love your uh, your poems from the chatbook. So thanks so much for sharing those with us.
2: Thanks, Jim, and thanks for having me on. This was great.
0: Yeah, yeah, my pleasure. Uh, We'll talk to you soon. Thanks. Okay, so now we are going to move to our open mic portion of the show. Um, And we already have 10 people lined up. I think that's a good number. We have seven people who pre-recorded poems for us. And um, we have uh, three people who've asked to sign up over Skype, which is going to be awesome. we have Bailey Frazier... we have uh, Kashyana Singh is going to Skype with us, I think. Uh, I'm not sure if she's going to Skype. She pre-recorded too, actually. So um, uh, Kashyana, check your, uh, your Skype chat and, and let me know if you want to be on Skype right now or if you just want me to play the pre-recorded version. Um, but first off, let's start with one of the pre-recorded ones. And if you want to pre-record a poem, like I said before, all you have to do is go to rattle.com slash rattlecast, and then you can upload a poem through Submittable. Uh, we need the poem's text, and we also need the um, uh, the te- or the or an MP3 or some kind of audio file. Whatever it is, it doesn't really matter. Anything is easily converted. Uh, so so if you want to pre-record, if you can't make it live, but want to have one of your poems up on up online um, in, as part of the stream, just send us a, a submission. And it's a true open mic. I have no idea what anything is. I've only checked to see if um, the audio is, is of sufficient quality to, to run. Because um, that's the fun of the open mic. You never know what's coming up. And I want to have fun, too. So let's do a poem. This is the first poem. This is When.
3: I'm Tiffany Cheney, A sassafras poet which based in the Tar Hill state of North Carolina. I'm reading People in Tiny, Pretty Boxes, a broadside originally published by Thrush Press. She likes keeping people in tiny, pretty boxes filled with dirt and seeds that sprout First, she poked holes, and dropped them in, buried the round soles, and wet them with the tips of her fingers. They pushed, contorted, a rhythmic in their rhythm, and the consecutive little squares shot up high as they could reach, and she pruned them, pared them back wet them some more. A bit of a hypocrite, she painted strokes of cute butterflies and blue jays flitting across the squares until one summer they just died. The tiny, pretty boxes with Faded paint were Thrown into a garbage heap Kicked over by Bored pedestrians Skateboarders with Wheels grinding down The dirt Into the cracks Of cement What wasn't packed into the cracks Grew Pointed toes Danced like a prima donna On streams of dust Yellow, sweets, clover, ragweed.
0: So once again, that was Tiffany Cheney. Tiffany Cheney reading People in Tiny Pretty Boxes. Now let's try um, calling somebody up on Skype. Um, we're going to call Bailey Frazier. Um, it's going to take a little bit of time for me to get her in here, but that's part of the fun. Um There you are. We see you now. Um, hello. Hello. <laughs> and your audio on. So, so Bailey has um, uh, been in Poets Respond a whole bunch of times over the years. She's one of the sort of Poets Respond stars. I don't even know how many times. Um, uh, but...
4: Yeah, me either. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but, uh, but what do you have for us today?
4: Um, I have a poem that I actually wrote probably like two years ago, but I've been revising it a lot. <laughs> <laughs> and so I'm kind of done with it and I want to just read it. So Okay, great. Um, I just have to wait for my computer to catch up with me so that okay. it puts it on my screen. Perfect. There yeah, we yeah, no problem. Okay, this is called Waiting for a Punchline. Waiting for a Punchline. Hello, April. Your birds are strapped like pulse lines on the wires above my head, feeding light from rundown apartments to gated communities. My neighbor smokes ankle-deep in mud instead of in the stairwell rain, tiny blades. You remind me of my body, an echo of something that cannot be washed away. April. I want to read you a poem in a dark room with no one else, where you will hear the angry wind farms we drive past, the thunder of construction as we near downtown, engine stalling, still cold enough that everything feels abandoned but somewhere between the words wings and distance, you will feel safe. Walking with me past the smoke shop and the convenience store, where the signs each night flicker, die a little more. Drenched, I will tell you how, as a child, I needed stitches in my face, how I felt like I'd rather stay apart than together as the needle wove. When we stop in the bar, you are comfortable. You like dim haloed light and classic rock, and the bartender feels like a sister. I'm stuck, you hear me say. My car won't start, and I've written the bartender's smile into threads that pucker and snap like door hinges. I will say, April, it's raining, and you will say, I know, and I will pause over the poem as if over my life because neither of us see the man follow me into the windy night but we hear birds slicing the sky and think it is beautiful and you are foolish, April, always waiting for a punchline. That's when I'll tell you about my neighbor, how he was drunk when I stumbled home, hands sewn to his cigarette pack, how he began his morning telling me his father touched him as a boy, how I offered him a light, how that was all I had.
0: Yeah. <laughs> That's yeah. Thanks poem. so much, Bailey. That was great. And uh, and your yeah. audio hover. It was quiet at first, but it it sort of picked up. So it was really came through clearly. Um, it was great to hear you read and, and see you in person for the first time. We published you like I don't know seven times or something, some crazy oh. number like that. Maybe not that many. Maybe <laughs> five. But we published yeah. you a bunch. And you're calling from Canada, right? You're you living? Yeah. In, yeah. Yeah. Great. Well. Well. Thanks so much for seeing you and thanks for sharing that that wonderful poem. We appreciate it. Thank. You. Having me, yeah, okay. Um, let me put Bailey <laughs> and uh, we will go back to the open mic or the, the pre recorded poems. Um, let's see what we have next. Let's find the actual author of When. Um, and the actual author of When um, is Julianne, Julianne King, and so uh, we'll hear that now. Here comes uh, when. By Julianne King.
5: Hello, my name is Julianne King. I am a poet and actor based out of St. Louis, Missouri. Today I would like to submit my poem, When, for your consideration. Unfortunately, this is a poem I wrote in some dark moments of fear after registering my oldest son for middle school, facing the violence that all American parents face as we send our children off to school, and um, what feels like the inevitability of violence that follows our children there. It feels, I imagine, like what it would be like to send your child off to war. And I sincerely believe that nothing is going to change this path that we're on. Um, nothing is going to pull people away from violence if it's upheld in the name of freedom. Or at least that's what I believed when I wrote this poem, and the desperation Um, is something that I still struggle with as I'm facing another school year. So here it is, my poem, When. Thank you so much. When. I've played this out a million times, run it through. Known beyond a shadow of a doubt what I would say when the cameras came to town and dared to point their incapable of being bystander lenses in my direction. I know I will tell them about the way you used to say cookies, with too many O's, and how full your laugh was, how funny you were, how your brothers and sisters saw you and that I wouldn't be who I am without you. I will tell them how easily you made friends, and about the poem I wrote when you went to middle school. I let you go, let you return to the battlefield hallways against my instincts. I will tell them that nothing will ever be the same, that a mother's grief should be enough to change the world, but it never has been, and our cannon-foddered children with their PTSD and pills aren't even sacrifices anymore. The gods on Capitol Hill? They are not appeased. I will tell them some wounds do not heal. I will tell the cameras when they make it to this town that nothing matters. And I will open my arm from elbow to wrist on live television. I will whisper your name as the camera cuts away from the gore and they will forget me like they will forget you like they have forgotten all the others. But I won't. I won't forget, and I won't have to witness their false shock turn to apathy. I won't have to watch myself wither away, wondering what you could have been. I hope I soak the cameraman in crimson grief. I hope he retires his lens and starts a revolution. I hope a lot of things, but there are only two things I know. When, not if. And there is no world without you because mothers do not survive the loss of their child even if their hearts keep beating even if the breaths keep coming I will die beside you in that classroom curled in a corner leaving a message for me to play at your funeral I will die again and again until the news crews come and I will tell them their fascination with grief will never be sated and I will hold my hands behind my back and pry my arteries open while I answer questions no one wants answered. When the cameras come to town, I have it all prepared. I have since the day the yellow bus first took you away to the front to die for a country that cares more about profits than people. More about elections than generations. When, not if the cameras make it to this sleepy town, I will drown the world in the magma of grief that already fills the darkest corners of my knowing. Knowing you may not reach 16. Knowing the body count rises, but so do prophets. Knowing protests and compliance have done nothing. Knowing your blood won't either. Knowing our deaths won't matter. But maybe... The cameraman, drenched in a mother's grief, will remember the day he brought the cameras to town.
0: Well, once again, that was Juliana King um, reading her poem "When," and uh, a beautiful slam poem, really powerful. Uh, it's really cool to to hear these poems spontaneously out of nowhere. Um, and and I should note too that Juliana did a perfect job of introducing the poem. Uh, I kind of want this, even if you pre-record it. If you're going to do the pre-recording option, I want you to it to feel like you're introducing it and and telling you a little bit about yourself and where you come from. Uh, so that was really great. Uh, let's do another one. Um, let's see. Now this is Alex Wells Shapiro, and um, he just I think he just reads the poem, which is why I printed out. Um, um, some of his texts, but so I'll read it for him. Alex Wells Shapiro is a poet and artist from New York, living in Chicago. Um, let's see, he's been published in blah, blah, blah. There's his website if you want to check it out. Um, so this poem is previously published in Genre, Urban Arts, and The Sick Muse, and was a finalist poem in the At Atrocious Poets Cut Poems from Air Contest for Poetry, inspired by Gwendolyn Brooks. And uh, broadsides are available at atrociouspoets.com slash shop. And this is, uh, once again, Alex Wells Shapiro reading Ben Buried. Two trash bags swelling out of our alleys, overwhelming each other to an impasse, to a chorus of get the fuck out of the road, to nuzzle for leverage for to accumulating relentlessly, and the hot rubbing and bumpers ripping between us, burst us open, our plastic casing conceding to the chaos, composure suppresses. Spraying we remains onto streets already reeking of and glossed in, rotting Apple cores and an iPhone 5 and torn jeans and a soiled scone and tissue and meats too untrustworthy to reheat. We have family on these streets. We are rain. Falling with the faith our gravity will eventually lead us to unity, cluttering, fluttering bodies to be squeegeed between. Hey, so once again, uh, that was Ben buried by Alex Well Shapiro. Thanks so much to Alex for sharing that poem with us. Um, And now let's try another open mic. We're going to go to Michelle Parks. And again, when I do these uh, calling people on Skype, it takes a little while for it to um, come up. So you're going to have to bear with me a little bit. But I'll bring in... Yeah, hi, Michelle. Um, Let me bring you in. It's just going to take a minute. And just so everybody knows... um, there you go. I see you, Michelle, and you are on video. So thanks so much. Uh, nice to see you again. You can't see me, I think, but I can see you and, uh, and everybody else can Hi. see you, too. Hi. Uh, and you're calling, I think, from North Carolina, right?
6: South Carolina. Uh, South Carolina. OK, also. great. I do. I do. I, I've been working on um, like a chapbook called Evolution of an Addict." And it's about, you know, kind of a a personal story of addiction and overcoming. I've been sober for 20 years. And I can say that as a matter of fact, because my child is 19 and I stopped cold turkey three months before I found out I was pregnant with him. So, yay. (laughs) At any rate, this one is called All Right. There it was, albino, unexpected, face to face with boa when the bathroom was left. I chose right. I'm sure someone told me, hands dipped in paint, tripping on Crayolas, eyes prismed in moonlight. Surely someone told me, left on the left, your other right, the not right. Your hello was constrictive, though that too was right. The cat was lost for hours, found and lost again. But the boa never saw her. Only I did.
0: Thanks so much, Michelle. That was
6: great.
7: Oh, yeah, yeah, you. I
0: love that I mean, Michelle called in the first week, too. So I love having repeat people call in on Skype. It's really fun uh, to do this whole thing. I, I just have a lot of fun. So thanks so much for calling in, Michelle, and it's good to see you again. Oh,
6: thank you very much.
0: Okay, now I have uh, – yeah, I've lost my video. The Skype knocked out my video this time. It's always something different. So we're stuck with just the document cam. Um, but that was the last of our Skype callers for today. Uh, thanks so much to Michelle Parks and Bailey Frazier for calling in. It's so fun to know that people are watching and, and calling in, and, and it feels communal. I I always loved our reading series because um, it just felt like poets getting together, loving poetry, and um, that's what it feels like too when people can call in on Skype. So I really love it. Thanks again to Michelle Parks and Bailey Frazier. Um, and we will go back to the... Um, pre-recorded open mic portion and let's see who we have next um, this is Kayla Peters and it's um, What the Stars Can't See Part 1 and then there's a Part 2 too on the next page uh, here she is Kayla Peters oops I had the sound down let me try that again this is uh, Kayla Hi, Peters Hi I'm
8: Kayla Peters and this is What the Stars Can't See Part 1 and 2 previously published in Rigorous Magazine. I'm recording from Chicago, Illinois, and if you like this and want to hear more, follow me on Instagram at k.p underscore poetry. What the stars can't see, part one. Stars are bored creatures, watching Earth like we watch television. They love to peer in on intimate moments, but their perspective is limited by rooftops and awnings. The poor stars will never know of me and you, not truly. They see us walk to the train, but we don't hold hands in public. They see me hold the door open for you, but miss us flirting over sushi. They see you help me with my hood as we leave the restaurant. They know we will walk to get hot chocolate, then walk back to my place, but they don't know I kiss you in private. Maybe they have suspicion. Maybe they can tell from the way I look at you. Maybe the stars know we are lesbians, but don't bring it up out of politeness. Do you think tonight we can sit on the back porch I want the stars to see me holding you, but the stars can't see march it. Through me starts. No one speaks except the movie screen. Her hand is inches from mine, and all I can think is she's beautiful. I try to breathe in the courage to touch her, but courage must be absent from this thin air. She's beautiful, and I want to hold her hand. She's beautiful, and I want to unfold myself before her. I want to write myself into a novel so she can leave funny comments in the margin. I want to take those comments to my bedroom wall so I could always sleep next to her thoughts. She's beautiful, and I want to tell her that. I want to morph my lips to the shape of her mouth. When our lipsticks bleed together, the color is always a mess, but reddish brown around her mouth has never looked better. She's beautiful, and I want her. I want her. I want her.
0: Once again, that was Kayla Peters reading uh, What the Stars Can't See, Part 1 and 2. A beautiful poem. Thanks so much for sharing, Kayla. Let's see if I have my uh, video back. Oh, I do have my video back. Hello, everybody. Uh, So apparently Skype can knock out my video, which is good to know, but I've shut Skype down, so I'm back. It's a good time to remind everybody that there's an audio-only version of this uh, podcast or whatever you want to call it, live reading, where I cut out the the nonsense like this, where I screw up on the... uh, you know, switching between callers and stuff, so it's a good audio experience. If you go to rattle.com slash rattlecast, you can uh hear that uh without having to uh hear me babble and, and pause and forget to unmute the button. Let's see what we have next. Uh, so next up we have uh Kashiana Singh who's been here The whole night. Um, It's really great to hear. This is her poem, Arguments, coming up. Uh, Kashyana Singh is a management professional by job classification and a work practitioner by personal preference. Uh, Her TEDx talk was dedicated to work as worship. She's from India, now lives in Chicago, so that's two Chicago poets tonight, and bridges the miles between, or miles by regularly etching her thoughts. So here's her poem, Arguments.
7: Arguments. We argue about actions like waking, sleeping, eating, working. We argue about harsh circumstances, ripe with heart, tears, wrinkles, cracks. We argue about feelings, silence, longing, beauty, anger. About responses we are always dealing with consequences, denial, pain fear, we argue about things in baskets, buttons, hangers, notebooks, chocolates, about pictures we bury in caskets, with flowers, label pins, a watch, jewelry, we argue about moments sustained, hugs, daylight, goodbyes, labor, about promises we hope to retain, with courage, presence, energy. Wisdom. We argue. We argue about the most obvious stuff. Laundry, money, errands, children, about the beginning and ending of love with you, me, us, others. We argue about colors of countries, white, black, saffron, red, about listening and language that enables, includes, diffuses, reconciles. We argue about definition of belonging, intention, submission, moonlight, skies, about states and states of mind that captivate, resolve, consume, build, we argue. We argue, have argued forever, yet these days I choke with the weight of words, choices, silences, fear. Well,
0: thank you again. That was... uh kashiana singh reading arguments and, and kashiana's been on the uh, chat stream too the whole night so thank you so much for both sharing a poem with us and participating that way too it's really wonderful to have poets from all over the place uh, do this and i'm not sure i heard i felt like i heard waves in the background like the ocean i don't know what i don't know where you are uh, when you recorded that or if that was some kind of um background fill. but that was a beautiful addition to the poem to a beautiful poem so thanks so much for sharing that um let's move on Um, This is Chad W. Lutz, and um, let's hear his poem, Meeting the World Halfway. And because I only put his name on there, I assume he introduces himself. Um, Let's see. Here he is, Meeting the World Halfway.
9: Hello, my name is Chad Lutz, coming to you live from my brother's kitchen table in Newcastle, Indiana, where I'm about to read a poem That was featured in the summer 2019 issue of KYSO Flash called Meeting the World Halfway. I take them because I used to throw things, call people liars and lie through my teeth, cheat with everything that moves and then threaten to hit you because of some trivial thing, cower. Sometimes I'd make good and slam the door so hard the whole house rattled, grab you by your hair and let the steering wheel stop your face, It never mattered where we were driving or who we were with, what was at stake or time of day. There's blood in the carpet, no scrub brush can reach. But so it doesn't end that way, they're lined up on the table again. Tall, short, tall, tall. I take them from the bag, the orange bottles and the twist-off tops, treat them like radiation because the thought of them makes me shudder, because I've been taking them since I was five, Barely old enough to know I'm alive, and yet here I am, a controlled substance, hydroxypropyl cellulose, C23H27Cl2N302. I can't think the way I used to, but it makes me a better person. Letters get lost in the mouth. Or maybe that's just getting old, being out of it, dwindling. What is this poison in my hand, anyway? So I swallow them one by one. I hate it, but I do it, I do it, so you won't leave.
0: And again, that was Chad W. Lutz. Thanks so much, Chad. I love the introduction, too. Um, Again, if you're going to be pre-recording, please do what Chad did and and introduce yourself and where you're calling from and where the poem's been published and all that, so it can feel like you're here, even though a lot of people, you know, it's different times of night. People work different hours. Um, Not everybody can join live, so it's really great to be able to include other people who uh, might not be here this time of day, or um, Kashiana, who couldn't um, manage Skype where she was tonight, but pre-recorded a poem for us to use, too. Um let's see what we have next. And by the way, Skype is off. I had to turn it off because it had cut off my camera. And um I wasn't sure what else it might be cutting off. So I cut off Skype just for now. I'll figure that out next week. Um so no more no more uh, call and open mics. But if you call if you let me know you're interested next week, you can definitely call and we love having people live on Skype. Um let's see. And this might be the last poem. Let's see. Do we have everybody? Um, Yeah, it looks like this will be the last poem for tonight. And this is Dion O'Reilly with another poem. She's another poet who um, has been in Poets Respond a few times. She came to our Rattle Reading Series, which um, this online reading series inspired. We had, um, if you don't know, in L.A., in uh, the Flint Ridge Bookstore, we had a wonderful reading series that went on for about eight years. Um, Dionne O'Reilly was one of the readers there after she had a poem in Poets Respond, and she gave a great reading. So this should be good. Um, Here she is, Dionne O'Reilly. Okanagan,
10: 1980. Half the time, I was high on something. I'd picked out a cow shit and the skagit or bought for 15 bucks from a dodgy stranger. But that day... Nothing but a stack of pancakes, bleeding blue from blackberries, bought at a coffee shop in Marblemount. In a field outside Tenasket, I saw a drum, big as a trampoline, twelve Native men standing around it with sticks. The one named Red suddenly swelled huge, his face merging with the Cascades to the west. He said he'd found an egg in a ground nest Its cracks caked with yolk A yellow-bellied snake coiled round it Half dead, flaking its skin The sound of pipping within Told him Mount St. Helens was about to blow The next Sunday, she did as Jamie and I drove back to Seattle, hot air blasting through the rolled-down windows, smell of lemon and dust, scrubby flatlands scraped by ancient glaciers, cataclysms, rent valves of the earth, floods like a peep show behind a curtain we were too young to see. We heard on the radio Spirit Lake was gone, half the mountain pulverized. We must have looked like ants, displaced feelers akimbo missing what we'd come for that evening we fell asleep in a field we thought was empty awakened at midnight by a train the roar gaining on us thundering up from the dirt through our bodies six feet from steel rails invisible in the black the darkness lit by a single eye bright as death
0: Well, thank you. So once again, that was Dionne O'Reilly from Soquel, California um, with Okanagan, 1980. Another great open mic poem. Um, and that'll be it for the show tonight. Thanks, everybody who tuned in and watched live. It was really fun. I just love doing this. Um, I like it even more than our, our live in-person readings that we did for, for those all those years at the Flintridge Bookstore. It's so cool to be able to get in touch with people all over the world and have these be archived so that people can watch them later as a podcast, listening to them when you wash dishes or drive to work or whatever. It's going to be a lot of fun to do this throughout the years. We have a whole bunch of um, uh, poets coming up. Next week we have Pavana Reddy as the featured poet, and we'll have another open mic again. But Pavana Reddy was the um, featured interviewee in uh, Rattle number twenty or sixty-four, the summer issue just now, featuring a tribute to Instagram poets. But she has two great books, um, Rangoli and Where Do You Go Alone. And we really want to focus on that because the interview um, in in Rattle number sixty-four focused sort of on her background and. Um, and Instagram in general. If anybody's curious about Instagram poetry, make sure you check that issue out. The interview was very informative, but um, we didn't get to talk too much about her books. And um, so, so coming up next week on a August 20th Tuesday at the same exact time, we're going to be talking to Pavana Reddy um, about her two books, which are just wonderful books. Um, so hope you tune in then and uh, hope you do this every Tuesday night. We have great, uh, great poets, Moving forward, I have to think off the top of my head, but after Pavana Reddy, we have Richard Gilbert, the uh, haiku scholar, talking about his book Poetry as Consciousness, which should be really interesting. A little more intellectual, less poetry. We'll be doing a lot of haiku and things like that then. Um, After that, I think we have... um, Oh, I'm trying to remember. I have a whole bunch of people lined up. The... um, um, September 24th, if we go up that far, we have... uh, the author of Hansel and Gretel, Al Ortolani, coming on. And um, every Tuesday we have somebody lined up, so it's going to be a great bunch of shows, and I hope to see you see you there. hope to see you every time. This is a lot of fun. And uh, tune in next week, and be sure to click like on the video itself so that it spreads around uh, YouTube, and uh, be sure to cl- subscribe and uh, click the little bell so you get notifications when we're live. That's always good. Um, that's all for now. Hope you have a... Great week.